Do you feel like you've had a bit of a pivot in your business lately? Hi, I'm Candace, and over the last six months, I spent 300 hours talking to clients in eight different countries. I asked the question, how can I serve them even more? And the Align Your Business Summit was born. I handpicked 16 powerful, heart-centered business entrepreneurs, conscious leaders, and visionaries to help support you in your pivot with their wisdom and lots of free gifts. Please join me for the next 16 days here on the Intuitive Business Podcast for your first step to move into the next level of you. Speaking of steps, step number two is sign up for my free gift of a live group Akashic Record reading. All you have to do is go to bit.ly forward slash align summit to sign up for emails that will lead you to your free gift, a live group Akashic Record reading where you too can ask questions from the wisdom of your soul. See you there. Hi everybody. And I have a very special guest today and I would like you, I would like to introduce a special woman and she's also personal friend. So I'm really excited to have her today. Here we go. Reverend Dr. Terilyn L. Curry Avery is the creator of pastology. It's a cutting edge field that focuses on the synergy between pastoring and psychology. She holds a PhD from Hofstra University and a Master's of Divinity from Yale University. She calls herself a pastologist and is a transformational leader, a TEDx speaker, and the author and a retreat leader as well. Reverend Dr. Curry Avery has a unique approach to healing, transformation, and manifestation. She places the emphasis on your journey towards sacred intelligence, your ability to tap in to your internal source in order to move forward towards intelligent choices. Those choices are intended to honor the sacred and help you manifest your greatness while simultaneously embracing the humanity of those around you. Reverend Dr. Avery believes that relating on both a spiritual and human level is crucial to helping ourselves and others manifest our greatness and creating more harmonious life sustaining relationships. Dr. Curry Avery works with highly influential and committed leaders who need spiritual and psychological support as they transform the world by creating a legacy. I love that word. A legacy of service, prosperity, and greatness. Reverend Dr. Curry Avery is the author of Sacred Intelligence, The Essence of Sacred, Selfish and Shared Relationships, and is currently writing her second book with a working title, Sacred Intelligence, Leading with Passion and Faith During 
unprecedented times. <sighs> How's that for an intro, baby? <laughs> we did it. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this business alignment summit. And I really knew that this would be a very valuable presentation for a lot of people. So thank you so much for, for today. You are welcome. And I just, you know, I just feel like we both just did this sigh after you finished reading. And I think a part of the, the sigh for me was just Sometimes just really thinking back over the work that we really do, the legacies that we really are leaving in life, and sometimes just hearing, because we go through the day doing what we do because we're called and we're purposed, but sometimes just reflecting, it's like, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. You did all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Loving it all. Loving it all. So let's dig into the, I love this term. And I bet that most of you uh, will find that it was a unique term, a pastologist. So tell us about the invention of putting that together. So I have been a psychologist for years and I was a psychologist for, I don't even remember now how many years before I had this calling to go to school to become an ordained minister. And at the time, you know, I really kind of fought it. And I said, I'm not going to pastor a church. I just want to do like women's ministry because I love helping women in my business. I love retreats, blah, blah, blah. And as the things, you know, as God would have it, as, as I refer to, um, is that there was more for me to do. I kept wondering why did I need to become a minister since I was already a psychologist helping folks? And what I've learned over time is that the merging of those two things, the ministry and the psychologist is really what helps me to be uh, very unique. So I put a pastor and psychologist together and came up with pastologist because I use all of who I am when I serve others. Mm. Oh, let's breathe that in for a moment. I use all of who I am when I serve others. That's such a beautiful statement. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I see my life as a life of service, you know, and which is why I didn't understand why I had this calling to go to divinity school because I felt like I was already serving. But what's really important for me is when I spoke to the clergy woman who um, I had this awakening with that I was called to ministry, she said, it's not that you aren't already serving, but what can you do as an ordained minister that you cannot do as a psychologist? And that I have found has been very powerful over the years since I've had both degrees and the ways in which I serve people. And it's not that I bring in a pastor as a pastor all the time. And I'm like, you know, preaching to folks when I'm, when I'm serving people, uh, let's say when I'm coaching folks, but I do bring spirit in because there's no separation to me of who we are spiritually and who we are physically. It's really about how do we marry those two things together to really manifest the best in who we are. So I love being a pastologist. I love that term. And I love the way that you work with people. I've mm -hmm. seen um, Dr. Avery work with people. It's, a, it's amazing what she brings to the table. So 
I wanted to ask another question, if I may. So you utilize um, in your marketing that you're relating on both, as you're saying right now, the spiritual and the human level and how crucial that is in helping ourselves and others manifest our greatness by creating harmonious and life-sustaining relationships. Can you give me an example on how we can do that, especially in these times? Yeah, um, and it's so important during these times because we're dealing uh, with a couple of pandemics, right? We're dealing with the pandemic of COVID-19, and I, as a person of color, am dealing with, the, with a pandemic of racism. In fact, I think the whole country is, but the effect on me as a person of color is different than it is for um, other folks. And so um, for me, relating on that spiritual level and that human level, the spiritual piece is saying, look, we all have this shared humanity and we all have the sacred that's really placed within us, right? And so whether I'm working with you on an individual level for the issues that are going on in your life or a collective level where we're trying to figure out how do we help heal a nation, it's first saying, let us tap into that divine part of us, that sacred part of us that first lets us know that we are all divinely created. And secondly, that we're loved unconditionally. And then when we can embrace that sacredness and that part of us, we can then say, okay, so now how do we begin to relate on a human level to one another. And so when I work with people, I first get them to tap into that sacred part so that they can make intelligent choices that are going to manifest their greatness and then manifest the greatness of others. And so as you know, I call that sacred intelligence. It's really about using, again, the psychology and the spiritual coming together to use that to really have better relationships with ourselves, better relationships with other folks, but also ultimately a better relationship with our source, whatever we refer to that source as. Some people may say God, some people say Allah, some people say Pachamama, some people just say source, spirit, nature, whatever their source is. Learning to really ground ourselves in the energy, the divine energy of who we are so that we can really go out and serve the world. And we can really also honor who we are as individuals mm. as well. Absolutely. I, I love everything that you're saying. And I want to actually even go a little deeper, if I may. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I know that you do in your work um, that I feel is really super important is dismantling racism. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that today because how many business owners that I see out there that may be shying away from talking about this right now and your role as a pastologist is just so incredible, like the spirit and, you know, both parts of the spirit of us and the humanity of us and making better decisions. Can we talk a little bit about racism and um, like how we should be talking about it appropriately or tell us how you do like dismantle racism, please. 
Yeah. So there are a couple of things. Like right now I have a course that's going on. It's a six week course on teaching people how to really be change agents and to be uh, anti-racist, though I'm a, I am looking at the language a little bit because I think language is so important. I think we should speak what we want out into the universe. But I know to use the term anti-racist for me means for those folks who are ready to say, I want change to occur. And sometimes when we use softer language, some people don't get what we're saying. And so I myself have been doing this, um, thinking about how we talk about race, even as I continue to do it year after year after year. But to begin with, I think the first thing that we need to do in order to talk about race and racism is first to say, we don't know what we don't know and to open our ears up so that we are ready to listen. What I find in this country is that people don't wanna talk about race, period. And there's nothing wrong with talking about race. You and I are, we're, we're from two different races as it's been socially constructed. So this is a pretty dynamic racial exchange going on here. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is something wrong with racism. And so I think people have to get their minds and their ears attuned to saying, I can speak about race and it's okay. But we've grown up, those of us who are of a certain age, where, uh, and particularly white folks, if I can be bold enough to say this, um, is that white people grew up during a time where their parents might have said, oh, let's not talk about race. People should be colorblind, right? We treat everybody the same. Well, that's absolutely not true. Because when you see me, Candy, do you not see that I am a black woman? I'm an African-American woman. So when folks say that, that's not true. What it means is, is that people are, um, are in, in, in um, they're not seeing my value and my difference as a person of color and are expecting me to show up in white spaces as a white individual, as opposed to seeing me as me, right? Yeah, yeah. But when I don't show up in that way, then I'm deviant, I'm othered. So if we're going to talk about race, we have to first become comfortable. If we're going to dismantle racism, we have to become comfortable talking about race. Secondly, in terms of becoming comfortable and not knowing what we don't know, we have to be willing to listen so that when I say what my experiences are, there isn't a need to defend. So that if I say black lives matter and a person said, well, all lives matter, why is there a need to defend that all lives matter? I'm not saying that all lives don't matter. What I am saying is that historically in this country, black lives have not mattered. And so what I want you to do in this moment that I'm saying black lives matter is to say, your black life matters also, not just white lives. So I use the example of different kinds of cancer. When we say breast cancer matters, we don't suddenly say, oh no, uh, all cancer matters. We make a distinction between that. And that's all we're simply doing. But I think that when we're talking about dismantling racism, folks get on the defensive. And that's not what we're asking folks to do. So that shared humanity piece, that sacred intelligence piece of us say that, yes, 
we are all a part of a shared humanity. Now let's make sure that everyone in a part of that universal humanity feels like it's equitable, right? That there's equity in it. And so to dismantle racism is really about confronting what we don't know and being willing to learn and not think that we already know everything that there is to know. So I, of I course love- I can say much more, but you know, I want to at least take a pause because I'm sure you have thoughts. I, I do. I mean, I just think that this is such a beautiful conversation and I mean, how many of you right now have been out there with a really tight lip because you're afraid to step in to saying something incorrectly. So as we're talking about this, can you help the white folk out a little bit with, (laughs) and even African-American and Muslim and Asian and all of us that speak, can you give us some clues as business owners as to where to go and maybe where it's not appropriate to go right now too? Mm -hmm. So, so first and foremost, I want to say to folks, do your homework and really listen and seek to understand rather than to be understood. Because when we get out there and we're ready to just respond without having given it some thought, that's when we really put our mouths, our foot into our mouths. But secondly, I want to say, if you do put your foot in your mouth, own up to it and then be willing to learn from it because we all make mistakes. You know, I can think about groups that I've supported in my lifetime. There are perhaps sometimes I've put my foot in my mouth because I didn't know what I didn't know, but then I had to learn from that. And so I want to invite folks to really go through a period of trying to understand, read, watch a few movies, but then don't think that you know it all. Engage in a conversation with someone, just a real conversation. And and by that, I mean, look, don't just pick the one or two African-American friends that you know to have a conversation or see if they are willing to have a conversation, but really take the time to immerse yourself in learning about a different group of people in a way that you've not done it before. And then ask questions. If you're wanting to say something on social media, you're unsure about it, find someone trusted that you know and ask a question. But in terms of business, one of the things I want to say to business folks out there, it's really not enough just to change your language on your page because you want to be inclusive. Because what does inclusive mean? It means everybody. But right now we happen to be talking about racism. Be very clear of what you're talking about. Don't also go and ask, because this is something that's happened to me, where people who don't even know me well will ask me to read their language that they have on their business page to see if it's inclusive. Well, first of all, if I'm going to do that, you need to pay me to do it, right? right? I'm not doing it for free. Pay me for my expertise because I've been doing trainings on racism for years, so pay me for what I am, I usually do. Um, but secondly, don't assume that every person of color out there knows how to write something that's going to be appropriate for your business. So take the time to hire people to help you change your business and your business model so that it truly is more inclusive and not just lip service. I think, Candy, they're really 
there are no easy answers for folks to say, this is what you need to do immediately to change your business model and your business plan. Because the way that I work with people when I do trainings with folks, it's about the personal transformation. Yeah. And so I make people look at their own, even if it's unintentional, racist behavior. And that's hard for people to hear, right? Because even as a person of color, I can have internalized white racism, right? I could have, because, you know, we've all grown up in this model of white supremacy. So there are ways that I have internalized racism. So until we all take a look at the ways in which we perpetuate racism, but in particular white folks, then I think that we continue to have the problem. I, I do too. I, I hope it's okay to share, you know, I've called, um, so Terilyn and I truly are friends and my sister uh, came upon a situation which was part of my situation too. My niece uh, was going to have a biracial uh, baby and we were both, you know, again, back in the day that we were raised, Terilyn and I are, are pretty much the same age, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's, it was a different time when we were growing up. And, um, so I wanted to make sure that my niece and my nephew, and now I have two nephews would be on board with that. We would be on board with the right hmm, language and behaviors and to be able to support the fact that the, the child would be having, you know, uh, different cultures, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we were celebrating that and I asked her for some help. So (laughs) lo and behold, my niece had a second baby. And so this is going to be quite interesting. I shared with Tara Lynn. So same father and one baby is completely looking, you know, like a biracial baby, you know, mixed baby. The next baby has uh, blonde hair and blue eyes is in, in, is African-American and they're brothers with the same father, 99.8% accuracy. So it's going to be an interesting process to watch how these two boys grow up. And, you know, Terlin's helping me with the discussions. And this weekend, my sister was up and we were like, wonder what it's going to be like. Are we going to see this? And how are we going to encourage them to love each other as brothers, even if they're started to tr- be treated differently mm-hmm. and that they need to protect each other and support each other. And like when one hits the other, it's like, love your brother, kiss him and say, I'm sorry. And you know, one's one, one's three. So it's going to be a, it's going to be uh, interesting to see. It, it, it will Candy, And I'm so glad actually that you're bringing this up because So a lot of times white people, when they have children of color, will say love is love and it doesn't matter. That's all you got to do is treat them with love. Ultimately, I believe love is what rules, period, and that we all have a shared humanity. But what worries me in situations when folks say love is love and it doesn't matter is for those white folks who aren't able to recognize that when your biracial nephew, the one who looks more like a biracial kid, is stopped by the police, when a white parent does not recognize that, they actually can do damage to the kid if the kid comes home and says, look, this was my experience. Mm -hmm. 
I have uh, worked with people uh, who've been biracial. I've worked with parents. I've worked even in teaching my classes where uh, kids have been adopted into white homes. And I've talked about microaggressions. And I've talked about the fact that often biracial kids don't even tell their parents what they're experiencing. And the kids who I've been working with will say, oh my goodness. I had a student who came up to me one day in class. She was in tears. She said, you know, when you said that in class, it just took me all the way back to the times that I never told my parents about the racism I experienced. And she said, and what you've done is you've opened me up to have the conversation with my white parents that I've never had before. And so what I want to invite your listeners to do, yes, love your biracial kids, love your adopted kids of color, but please know that their experience in the world is going to be different. And so our shared humanity allows us to recognize the ways in which we are similar, but it also allows us to recognize the ways in which we are created beings who are uniquely uh, positioned in this world for this time and space. And we're showing up in ways in which we are here to help one another, that we are interconnected, right? But, but as a white parent, you have to prepare your children for the things in which they are going to experience in this world. And sometimes the best way for you to do that is to make sure that they have people of color in their lives who can actually tell them what the day-to-day -day experiences are, but also that you have people of color in your life who can educate you as a parent and then that you don't feel less than because you can't teach your child that experience. Look, we can't teach our children every single thing, right? You know, um, I don't have sons, but if I had a son, there are possibly some things, well, not possibly, there are some things that I believe uh, someone who identifies as a male can teach my male son that I as a female can. So that doesn't make me less than. So if you are the mother of a biracial child, or a child of color uh, that you've adopted, then go to the people who can teach you. But I just wanna say one really quick thing, Candy, and that is this. The experience of a biracial child is very different than the experience of a child who is, let's say, uh, only African-American or only Black. And I think that that is important to say, no matter what the biracial mix is, that biracial child, their experiences are different than either of the two races with which exactly. they're mixed, okay? Because the problem is folks will tell biracial children, well, you're not really white, and so I don't completely accept you because you're not really white. And then if you're over, let's say the other um, race that you're mixed with is of African-American descent, well, you're not really black. So I want folks to understand this is complicated and it's complicated because we have made it complicated. It doesn't have to be so. And the more comfortable we get with having this conversation about race and recognizing that there are things that we don't know and that it doesn't mean that we're bad people because we don't know them, then the better off we will be with dismantling racism. 
Yeah, I, I know. I love what you're saying. And I actually, I'm really loving this conversation because the other thing I saw too. So I worked at a university for 33 years and one of my roles is an educator in diversity. And one of the things that we haven't talked about, and it's going to be interesting with my nephews is what people identify as. So uh, over the course of 33 years and having around 11 staff members every semester, um, what I noticed is there were some people that had an appearance that they were black, but they had no, like their mother was white. They didn't have their father in their life. Their grandmother was white and they were raised white. So they actually self-identified more with white in their lives than with being black. And then there's, I had one, um, one student, oh my God, she was so lovely. She was one of 14 children. Her mom had like three sets of twins or something. And she uh, was definitely biracial, but she identified as only African-American and her mother was white and her mother really African-American people identified with her as being black because she just, that's what she, that's where how she enjoyed life. Right. So it's interesting about self-identification too, because you can look white and feel different race. Like my nephew has blonde hair and blue eyes. His father's African-American, his father's at home. And most likely he's going to identify with the African-American race, but how's that going to work? So it's going to be quite interesting. Well, it will be interesting. And I think, you know, sadly, people should have the right to identify in any way that they choose to, because it's really what we feel like as a, as a person, isn't it? You know? Um, But I think whoever you've been around, you're going to act like the people that you've been around the most, no matter what that is. And, and then also you're going to find the things that you love about your culture and you're going to embrace them and the things that you don't like, you're not going to embrace them. And so it really is important, though, for that person to have an understanding of how the world sees them and how the world will treat them. Um, you know, there's an exercise that I do uh, when I do um, trainings. When, when I used to be able to do the trainings live, and I would have people to kind of pick how they identified from a group of categories. And uh, eventually they they would have to choose between black and white. And it was often hard for biracial people because they just, just, I I don't identify with, I feel like I'm hurting my mom if I pick this side or hurting my dad. And I said, well, ultimately we have to pick one. And the reason why I would say that is because I would say, you have to have an understanding of how the world sees you. And the reason that's important is because as a pastologist, I have had people in my office who have been completely traumatized by identifying in one way, and then suddenly they've gotten to college or they've gotten to some point in their life where someone has called them something racial like something negatively that that's in terms of race, because again, race is not just a negative thing, but somebody has, has called them a, a racial slur to be more accurate. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's how they see me. And I don't see myself in that way. Mm-mm. And so we've had to then do the work around 
you know, healing um, that piece of them. And so really, particularly for your folks out there who are listening, who will say it doesn't matter that we shouldn't talk about race and racism so much. We're talking about it because racism and race, race itself is socially constructed. So we're working within the language that is there in order to help dismantle a problem that has existed throughout history. And the only way for us to do that is to take away some of the shame, some of the guilt, some of the... um, Really, the feelings of overwhelm and anger and sadness, I won't say take away being uncomfortable because anytime we branch into a new uh, area that that we've not looked at before, we're going to be uncomfortable. And you and I both know, Candy, in the world that we're in, look, folks are going to be uncomfortable. And it's really interesting because you and I both work in the spirit realm, but differently. There would be some people listening, knowing that I am, I I identify as a Christian pastor and knowing what you do on a spiritual level would say, well, how does that work? It's because we have been able to engage in the conversation around spirit and God and accepting that there's more than one way to connect with source. And so we don't have to be uncomfortable with learning about other people and their beliefs. I mean, you know, I do a lot of work around the wounds of religion. And I do that because people are so caught up in their way of thinking about how God shows up to us and how we should be treated based on our relationship with God. And so the work that I do with people around our shared humanity begins with an understanding that we are the manifestation of our sacred being, whoever that sacred being is. And that we're all, as I said at the beginning, loved unconditionally and we're divinely created. And so uh, we don't have to be afraid to enter into any of these conversations. No, we don't. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about love right now. And one of our shared loves, (laughs) I know, you know, where I'm going to go. So, um, thank you for everything that we've talked about up until now and even now. So you had a little post the other day, about a year and a half ago that I happened to see that you were going to see some special woman speak (laughs) that we have a very mutual love about. So tell, tell us a little bit about how that happened. (laughs) So I have, I really have this desire to uh, be on super soul Sunday. And part of the reason why I want to be on Super Soul Sunday is because as passionately as I am about dismantling racism, I'm also very passionate about healing the wounds of religion and and ultimately believe that being a pastologist, that's a part of the service that I'm called to. It's just really to help people to heal from that. And so uh, everybody in my business group, everybody that I got a chance to go to and I talked to, I was like, I want to be on Super Soul Sunday. I'm trying to get to meet Oprah. And so um, I I happened to be uh, talking, I guess, in our group. And I mentioned that I was going to see Oprah. Now, what I have to say about that is because I had told everybody that I wanted to be on Super Soul Sunday, whenever people knew that Oprah was going to be anywhere, they would let me know, or they would let me know 
it's so funny. They would say, oh, so-and-so has been on Oprah's show. Like they would just tell me all these things, right? So uh, I had a friend, lovely, lovely, lovely woman. And she said, Carolyn, Oprah's going to be at UMass Lowell. And she said, I know you want to go. So uh, do you want to get tickets? And so we got tickets and we drove during a snowstorm <laughs> to go see Oprah. And I remember you and I were in a group together and I mentioned it and you just messaged me right away. You said, I got my ticket. I'll see you there. <laughs> and it was just so great. And I have to tell you, for me, it felt like Oprah was in my living room. That's how spiritually connected I felt with her. And also there are things that Oprah and I share. We're both from Mississippi. So we both know what it's like to come from a place like Mississippi and really um, to make it. Um, now, obviously, Oprah has a different sort of life than I have, but I've done some fantastic things, too, for which I am very, very proud. And we're both really in the business of serving. So for me, it's about being on Super Soul Sunday. One, yes, I'd love to connect with someone who seems to be so real with wanting to help people, but also to get the message out there more and more and more that there's a need to heal the wounds of religion that are out there. And um, I just feel like Oprah has a platform that would help spread this wonderful message that there's, you know, there's no like right, like my religion is the only moral authority. I think we have to get out of that idea of thinking about that, that God is manifested through so many different ways. And so for me, it is about helping all of those people out there who've been rejected because of their religion and they've told that, they, that there's something wrong with them. My desire to be on the show is really to spread that message about um, how we heal the wounds of religion. But of course, you know, I do love Oprah. And again, I identify with Oprah as a Black woman from Mississippi to say, Oprah, look at our history. So this gets back to the racism. Look at what we've come from. You know, I'm really not that many, gen many generations from slavery. And look at where I came from. And look at what she's done. And I think it's magnificent. So one day you and I will be on Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> that's what, um, so that's exactly what happened. Like Terilyn was like, I'm going to see Oprah. And I was like, I have my ticket. And so we, I flew in from Pennsylvania and we had a lovely dinner and then it was a horrible snowstorm, but we did not miss a beat. We went to see Oprah and it was really a fun experience to be with you and <laughs> to see part of our dream. You know, we were with Oprah. That was the second time I, I met her. I actually flew to Chicago one time to be at her show and it took eight years to get a ticket <laughs> to be on her show. Oh, well, at least you got a chance. And I apologize because I think my dog is going to start barking through That's this. Okay. But, um, but, hey, puppy. Yes, somebody's at the door. So yeah. It's okay. So the last thing that we have is a, um, is a gift for all of you, Dr. Terilyn Avery. So she's going to tell you a little bit about a gift that she has to give you for, um, listening to her on the summit. So again, I just wanted to thank her and here we go. You can share. 
So again, I do apologize for my dog in the background. She's been really good um, the whole time. But for me right now, my free gift that I'm offering to people are the three essential relationships in order for you to manifest your greatness. And those three relationships really center around our relationship with the sacred, ourselves, and with other people. So that is the gift for everyone. Well, thank you. Are there any final words that something that I didn't ask you that you really wanted to share with um, the listeners today? I really just want to say to the listeners, uh, because the other thing that's really um, important, you mentioned the book that I'm writing around faith. I know and recognize that times are hard, that we are living in this time of COVID-19 and living in this time of where we've really come to realize how prevalent racism is in this country. And it can be daunting, particularly in our businesses, particularly as leaders. But I want to encourage people to continue towards your calling and to know that uh, you've been called for a purpose wherever you are in life. You have a purpose and to move through it with faith and um, just really be careful about your mindset as you're moving through this difficult time. And uh, I am writing a book on that, that I'm hoping to, that will be out in the next couple of months. And so I invite people to um, pick up a copy of it when it becomes available. Excellent, excellent. Well, make sure you get your gifts so that you get on our mailing list so that when our book comes out, that you can all be hooked up with that beautiful book. And, and I just wanna thank you for um, your ever pre presence and willingness to, to be available to those in need and to be present and just to be such a great listener. And um, it's, you, you have a beautiful way of reflecting things back to people too that gets you to think and gets you really uh, in alignment with your thoughts. So I'm just gonna give you a big virtual hug from my heart. Yes, yes, I feel it, Candy. Cause I miss seeing you. Oh, I miss you so much. It's, it's been, you know, um, we, we, well, we hang out together and we haven't been able to for the last several months, just like all of you. So, um, this is the way that Terlyn and I were able to connect and, um, and to share the beauty of, of what she has to offer to all of you. So I just, again, want to thank her so much and thank you for listening. And I hope that this has given you a voice again, to be able to, to speak and maybe go for it, you know, like speak your truth and do it out of kindness in your heart is what I feel. So, um, you know, sharing the love is, is important. And you know what? we're all in this pandemic. We're all in this situation together. So always making the best of, of life and putting our best foot forward. I love the word you use legacy, creating a legacy. So thank you. Thank you, Candy, for having me. Very welcome. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope that you feel more connected to your power within and that you take action from the guidance here today. For more information, please head to CandiceHaza.com where you will find more resources to help you and your business grow to the next level.